Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Bat Flips and Maple Dips. My name's Clayton Croker, coming to you from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Lots to cover on this episode. Thanks for listening, whether that be on Stitcher, whether that be on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, wherever you are. Thanks a bunch. Uh, thanks for liking us on the socials, especially Twitter, at BFMD Podcast. Um, thanks for listening, wherever you are. A lot of stuff to cover, so we'll go around the horn really quick here. Also from the Paris of the Prairie. Justin Anderson, how's she going, bud? It's going well. Just rushed home from work to join you guys in the episode. I'm just happy to be here. Life of a salesman, hey? Uh, joining us in the Maritimes, uh, we got Patrick Marsh. How's it going, bud? It's going fantastically. Baseball is back. Yeehaw! Uh, That's you guys say in the prairies, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Say it all the time, Every man. day. Yeah. Just like you guys hunt for lobster every single day, we say yeehaw and farm canola every single day each and every one of us uh this episode by the way is brought to you by old milwaukee because it was the one beer that was in my golf bag uh you guys ever have those straggler beers or anything in your golf bag how warm is this old milwaukee oh it's not great man it's pretty uh pretty room temperature um on this episode by the way we're obviously going to be talking about the marlins uh that's just a complete shit show uh we also uh gonna be talking about the jays the future at closer how good our rotation has been and uh around the horn first boys anything you guys want to talk about uh, i have a fun story about old milwaukee so that used to be like my drinking game beer of choice the reason being is that it's 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 kind of shitty so it doesn't matter if it like gets blown up in a game of beer darts because you just don't want to drink it anyway so i don't have any recent drinking stories just because i don't drink anymore uh, and haven't for, haven't for seven years. But way back in the day, I used to pound back the Rolling Rock. And uh, I don't know why it was Rolling Rock, because I have no connection to Rolling Rock in any way, shape, or form. Maybe it's just because I liked Keats and I wanted to try something different. But that was my that was my uh, the beer that I would get and kind of slam back when I was at, at a house party. But whenever I was out and about, or out and about, it was Moose Green, baby. Moosehead. Moosehead, Moosehead is hands down my favorite beer because it comes in a green bottle. Like I love Alexander yeah. Keys too, but I find Moosehead tastes better because of the green bottle. I know it has yeah. nothing to do with it scientifically at all, <laughs> but in my head, the green bottle makes it way better. I don't know why. Uh, do mo- most Maritimers drink Moosehead, or is Keith still like the number one out there, Patrick? Um, I don't know. See, the culture has shifted dramatically in favor of home brewing and micro brewing. Yeah. So there's a lot of that going on. A lot of people are very like uppity about it. I mean, <laughs> I don't think there's a Canadian beer that I that I wouldn't drink if I wanted to. But I would say you're looking at 70-30 Keiths and then like a 20-way tie for ever, with everything else for that remaining 30%. 70-30, hey, wow. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm very out of touch with that. I don't go out to bars anymore or anything like that. I'm an old man. I'm one of those IPA snobs, by the way. Like, I'm drinking old Milwaukee from a golf bag. I mean, obviously, I'm not a big fancy <laughs> sour guy or anything like that. I don't know. Yeah. I, like, I'm liking the Crack Canoe. That's a Moosehead product, right? Like, they're 3.5%. As soft and covered butter as it sounds, like I'm starting to like the less alcohol in my beer. I uh, I'm a big fan. Like my my girlfriend's a huge fan of the Moosehead Rattlers. They're actually like 
probably the best Rattler out there that I've had anyway. And I'm not a huge Rattler guy, but if I have to pick one, it's definitely a Moosehead one. It's good. It's really that's good. another that's another beverage I had piss warm like two days ago. Rattlers, when oh. they're warm, are the worst. Never. Yeah. Never. Oh, they're so bad. What, so spicy. What type of uh, Rattler does she get? She's more of a, uh, like, a, like a, I think it's peach is her, her flavor of choice. The grapefruit's the worst. Yeah. The yeah, grapefruit easily. is the worst. Grapefruit's just a subpar fruit to begin with. Good French <laughs> pronunciation, though. Pomplamousse. That's grapefruit in French, right? That is very true. I've yeah. always liked that. Pomplamousse. It's like one of the only French words I know. Pomplamousse and Genou. Genou's yellow. Genoun. Ah, whatever. This is Jean. You're Jean, Jean bud. Jean Chrétien, shovel face. Let's get to baseball, <laughs> shall we? Um, this Marlins situation. Let's just go around the horn here and get your guys' first take on this. The whole situation. Um, Patrick, if you want to give us a little bit of a recap and then just get into it from there. All right. Sure thing. Uh, we'll start off with uh, since July 24th. Uh, 17 Miami Marlins have tested positive for COVID-19. The team's entire season is now currently on pause, whatever that means. Uh, And teams don't want to go to Miami anymore to play the Marlins. And (laughs) the Marlins can't go anywhere because they're all sick with COVID. So it's kind of a shitty situation for everybody because the baseball season continues with or without them which is a whole other problem that we can talk about if we want to. It's up to you guys. But I found it interesting that the Nationals, even though they have no control over this, the team voted top to bottom, and they they voted heavily in favor of not going to Miami this weekend. Now, MLB canceled the games anyway, or not canceled, but postponed the games anyway. But still, the team was pretty united about not going down to Florida which is where the Jays just came from. But thankfully, since the 24th, no uh, positive tests throughout MLB aside from the Marlins. So this situation seems to be exclusive to them for now. And it sucks. One team just kind of disappears from the league for a little while. Who knows what's going to happen? All of this is unprecedented. All of this is ridiculous. But, I mean... At what point do you say, like, let's shut this shit down? This is too far. I'm going to throw a what if in before we get to Justin. What if we just kick the Marlins out of the season right now? And everyone who plays them just kind of gets a win. I know that's kind of greasy, but what if we just, that's one of the things. They just get kicked out, and any team that gets a COVID outbreak, tough break, you're done. Like, if you get more than five or something, I don't know. Would that ever be possible, or would that just be too much of, like, an asterisk at the end? Um, I think it'd be a pretty big asterisk. <laughs> Huge, but... but yeah, I think the biggest thing is is the Marlins weren't gonna win anything. So do we really f- like if this was like the Yankees, then they'd be like a whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's the Marlins. Like they're like three, four years away from being relatively competitive. If and that's being pretty generous based on the fact that they're running their team like a. Uh, like the Oakland Athletics and just trading away all their good players all the time. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to do here. Like, it's interesting that there's people. It's it's like you have two perfectly divided sides here. It's either you cancel it or you go on without them. There's no middle ground right now. 
And I think the biggest thing that MLB just really hasn't communicated, like, what are they going to do? Like, they're postponing games, but are they just going to play, like, 30 double headers in a row? Like, what's going to happen to these guys? <laughs> I think what they said, Justin, was they're going to go with win percentage at the end of the year if they end up playing between 35 and 45 games and then just call it what it is. <laughs> I've also, I've seen, and I don't know how credible this is or whether or not this is something they're looking into, I've seen this the philosophy that they push forward with the Marlins, but they just use players who have like undisputedly tested negative for COVID. So right. anybody from their 60 man, so if any of them, uh, if, if any of their starters or anyone on the 26 man or 30 man or whatever it is, um, get COVID-19, they're off the roster and then they just replace them with a member of the 60 man and they just keep doing that until they run out of players i guess and then when they run out of players and they can't play i don't know if that's necessarily a good idea i do think the marlins should still play even with players uh sick if we're really going to try to push this um but obviously like the number one thing should be you know the season should just be paused like one one team is down now how many what happens if a player dies? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That, it's gonna look. It's gonna look bad. That got deep real quick, right there. Yeah, you better bring your water wings because it's. Just, this is gonna be a deep, dark discussion. I'll tell you. Okay. What if though? Like, imagine the plot twists. If again, you just your team gets COVID and you're done. Imagine like a week before the playoffs, first place team gets it, and like the last playoff spot's just up for grabs. It'll never happen. Mm. We're just we're playing the what if game here. But how much fun would that be to watch? Like, if your team just all of a sudden in it because two teams get kicked out. Ooh, I don't right. know. I, th- I think I'd be more concerned. Well, I'd be concerned <laughs> as well. Obviously, you're concerned, but, like, the <laughs> sports fan in you is also like, hey, my team's got a shot, you know? Like, we're, we're okay. And, yeah, and this is a very serious situation, and it sucks because it's threatening the whole season and it's threatening a bunch of stuff too, but, like, would you shut it down right now, Justin? Is that what you would do right now? I, I was... In, the, in our chats outside of the podcast, I've been pretty vocal that I didn't think the season was going to happen. And this was before the U.S. had like this spike in cases in places like Florida, Texas, and California. I'm pretty like I, I'm glad that there's baseball, but like I would not be sad if this season just ceased to exist, just because of the like future ramifications. I mean, I love that we're able to develop some players and that Nate Pearson's going to come up tomorrow. We're going to talk about that. But I just think this season's a complete waste of time anyway. And I, I still think there's like a like a 20% chance we get to the end of this thing with playing a full baseball season. Like, I'm pretty... I hate to be like a negative Nancy, but like the realist in me just thinks that it's not going to happen. It's, something's going to go wrong where we're going to have like three, four teams who can't play and then it's just gonna be like okay we're just we're just washing this it's gonna be done okay so you're 20 percent, patrick what would be your number what do you mean like a percentage of whether or not this season finishes yeah like yeah. the chance that they actually go ahead and finish the season one percent because mm. i don't want to be a hundred percent i don't want to be like fully wrong but i would say this is going to get worse long before it gets better so i'm going to say one percent chance the season actually uh, continues, which I you know, look. I don't want to be a negative Nancy. I love baseball. This is why we do a baseball podcast. Baseball's back. It's fun to watch, but 
we have to draw a line somewhere as far as the utility between human lives and entertainment. And I think we've already crossed that threshold. And it's really going to be up to the commissioner, uh, who has done a pretty piss poor job, in my opinion, um, of, of handling this situation. So I don't know. We're going to look back on this this year, 2020, and sports. And we're going to say, my God, it's hard to believe that the NHL had the best commissioner and the best laid plans when it came to playing out their season because now we've got uh, the whole leagues in it or the remaining parts of the league that are playing in the playoffs. They're all in their bubble. None of them have tested positive for COVID in uh, weeks as far as I know. And they've already started playing games. Nobody's getting sick and it's actually going to work. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, if you would have told me that Gary Bettman's plan would have worked out the best before this, I probably would have put money against it. Yeah, yeah. like the NHL, just the way it looks is like way better. Like the Hub City, like what they did with the Hub City idea, it's great. Mm-hmm. They've really embraced it and the player lounges look good. Just the way they set up the rink too, like with the tarps and the screens and stuff, like the NHL is doing it really, really well. And the MLB is just, they just... They really screwed the pooch on this one. I don't know. This, this, the everyone knew this was going to happen eventually. I just don't think anyone expected it this early, too. But I'm not used to going to Deepville like this. We're getting way too serious here, guys. Um, anything else on the whole Marlin situation? Do you see any other ideas? Like, do they go to a Hub City option? Is it too late for that? I don't think that's possible with baseball. It's just too yeah. much, too many optics and not enough ballparks. You'd have to play like five games a day at PNC Park. Or the Great American Ballpark. It would just be, it would just be like stacks of two, like because even assuming a baseball game lasts nine innings exactly, and it gets like two hours and fifty nine minutes or whatever the f Rob Manfred wants it to be. Let's assume that they are all three hours. You would have to have like eight baseball games a day <laughs> for the. 24 hours in order to fit the schedule in unless you were to just say you know fuck it we'll do a round robin tournament where everybody plays everybody once and then the two best records from both uh both leagues just play in the world series but even then it's still pushing it because you're still talking about hundreds of players from hundreds of different cities all across north america and central america and then you're putting them all in one place and then you're you're hoping that they all have the professionalism to stay in their individual hotels and not go out and philander in whatever city they're in it's just it's too much the logistics are overwhelming it works in hockey because you have less uh less people to work with and i think with hockey in particular they're used to like it's been like 80 to 90 years of tradition of of you know getting on the bus going to the hotel sleeping getting up and immediately going to the rink to practice going back to the hotel to sleep like it's a it's or hockey is a little bit more uh rigid with its structure while baseball you know is a little more loosey-goosey it seems this is why the kick them out option would be good because no one would want to be leaving the bubble if they knew that if someone got covid they were kicked out of the league Plus, only yeah. only the Marlins have it. 
So like that's a, that's one positive. I'm trying to bring some positivity here. Only the Marlins have it. No other team has tested for it. So if we just kick them out, forget about the Marlins. Fuck the Marlins. Sorry, Justin's <laughs> mom. But fuck the Marlins. They're done. They blew it. So we just kick them out. Sorry, you weren't going to win anyway. Let's call a spade a spade and just resume the season. It would be weird. It's not going to happen. But I don't know. Does that not seem like, does it not seem super far-fetched or no? It doesn't not make sense. (laughs) Just saying, fuck the Marlins, man. If we just kick them out, then we can just kind of keep going and see if it'll work. Because no one else has tested positive. Maybe... Maybe they all just kind of stay in their hotel after that and just be like, hey, no, we can't leave. We don't want to get kicked out of the season. I don't know. Maybe it'll work, but again, probably not. Um, you guys want to get to some Blue Jay stuff here? I say Let's so. Do it. Uh, Ken Giles, shut down indefinitely. The I word, never good, um, especially when it's his forearm and it's his pitching arm. Um, what do you guys think of our closer options now that Ken Giles is no longer really an option for the next little bit? Justin, let's go with you. Sure. Well, yeah, obviously, uh, big blow guy that we have been debating whether to trade or extend. So this definitely puts a, a damper on that. We won't be able to do either at this point. Uh, and yeah, the the I word, like you said, and definitely in a sixty game season where you've already played uh, well four games and playing five today, there's not a lot of time for a guy to to be hurt. Like if he's out for twenty thirty days, that's half the season. Yeah. How, how do you and, and like the the trade deadline is August thirty first. He's got a month to get healthy, so we can decide whether we're going to try to trade him or or keep him, and risk him leaving in free agency. So it's it sucks. Uh, I think the best options. I and mean, we saw Anthony Bass close uh, a game, and the only other guy that I can think of who I'd want to see in that role is is Jordan Romano, who has really turned himself into into a Ken Giles by scrapping his changeup and just going fastball slider this season and he's looked really really good so i think those are our two best internal options if they put rafael dolis out there i swear i will flip my lid (laughs) why he's terrible he's like he reminds me of like remember when we had kevin gregg as a a back-end reliever how every time he pitched there was two or three base runners it's just there's no rafael dolis until yesterday uh, when he actually showed he's capable of pitching a clean inning, he it can Tampa those two games he pitched in. My God, I, I was I thought I was sweaty because it was hot in my room, but no, I was just sweaty because he was stressing me the fuck out. You it's know, terrible. You know why Kevin Gregg was bad? He has two first names. You can never trust yeah, a guy with two first names. Never trust a guy with two first names. Never but trust he had those a guy glasses with two first names. Too, like you always so worried about. Bad combination. <laughs> uh, Patrick, who are you picking to uh, take over for uh, closer? And I don't think it matters. I think we just throw whoever out. Really <laughs> I mean, just just get just get the matchup advantage if you can, and if you can't, uh, I don't know. Roll a roll a, a d twenty and you know, pick the corresponding number. It just doesn't seem to matter. I think what matters is we need our bats to hit a lot of home runs and just hope for the best. <laughs> I think Romano might be the best option. His stuff's looked really really good. I like yeah. him in that kind of yeah. role. Maybe just to prove Black himself. Experience. Just go with the hot hand. He's been kind of the, he's been the guy sure. that has looked the best out of our bullpen. Uh, the only thing I'm worried about is remember last year when uh, Sam Gaviglia was the hot hand and we we ran him ragged until he was absolutely awful in the month of uh, May, June, July, August, and September. 
Yeah, I think the thing is you you hope your closure is going to be ready uh, two out of every three games, basically. Yeah. Whether it's two in a row or every second game. Um, whereas with Gavilio, we were running him out there for more than one inning way every too day. much. <laughs> last. Yeah, it seemed like for a while there he was in there every game. And that'll catch up to you. I think in a season like this, bullpen guys are like they're made to go one inning, right? In, in today's baseball. And I think a shorter season really benefits them because they're not having to build themselves up. They can come out there and, and gas for 25 pitches and be ready again the next day, whereas a starter is still trying to build up to a 7,500 pitch limit or pitch count. So I, I think Romano is pretty well equipped. He's he's probably been like he's been my most impressive reliever for us so far in guys who are actual relievers, like not starters who are using in relief. Um, him and Bass have both looked really good, so I'm pretty I'm pretty content with doing like the the rotating closer situation until yeah. either Ken Giles comes back or one of those guys claims the job. Yeah, or by committee, and it's just yeah. go with who's hot. Yeah, and you can't really like you no one's really going to trade with you right now, like especially with a 60 game no. season. Like going out no. and getting a guy isn't really an option either. Like that's a little tougher now. So you kind of just go with the guys that you have. So if Giles is out long term. It's like again, next guy up, and if he doesn't work out, next guy up, and then after that it gets a pretty hairy. I was going to say a little hairy, but after uh, after about two guys in our bullpen, then it gets really really hairy. Um, yeah. Before we get into the week that was, kind of getting into the games and breaking them down a bit, um, Justin, do you want to talk about this cool Kavon Biggio story? Or... Sure, yeah. So there's been a lot of talk. Obviously, the Blue Jays players, a lot of them took a, a knee uh, next, to, next to their teammates or put their hands on their shoulders. And, and a big story that was uh, with Anthony Alford, of course, uh, being African-American, and he was going. He was going. He wanted to take a knee, um, but he was feeling a little bit, I guess, um, worried. He was nervous about doing so because he's always been like the, the kind of guy who's never really been a big leaguer. He's never stuck around. He's always been up and down. And uh, the big thing is that, so Captain Biggio's locker is next to Anthony Alford's in, in Tampa Bay, and, and Biggio really um, recognized that Anthony was. I guess, hesitant of, of taking the knee and, and drawing attention to himself. So he turned to Alfred and asked him that, hey, if I if I do it with you, will you feel more comfortable doing it? And then, yeah, that was that's the story. And I, I think we all remember last year, too, in, in, uh, in spring training, uh, when Kevin Biggio was in a car accident on the way to the facility in Dunedin, uh, Anthony Alfred was the first person on the scene. And I think they've, they've kind of really been, uh, been tight ever since then. So it's a pretty cool story. I mean, there's a lot of great young leaders on this team. In the broadcasts, uh, Shulman and Buck Martinez were talking about how Matt Shoemaker's really taking on a leadership role, uh, and Hunjin Ryu's taking a lot of the young pitchers under his wing. And one guy they talked about was was Bo Bichette being a leader too. But I, I think Cavan's really got potential to um, kind of be like that, that almost like the moral leader of the team, whereas whereas Bichette and, and guys like Shoemaker are going to be more like an on-field um, like public face the team, whereas whereas Biggio kind of strikes me as more of a quiet guy who's going to go out of his way to make sure his teammates feel feel comfortable. He's the glue guy. Like that's yeah. a hockey reference Huge. right there. He's the glue guy. So like he's not the Sidney Crosby. He's like the Chris Kunitz. You know, he's the glue guy that puts everything together. Like on and off the field too. Like he's been having a great freaking first mm-hmm. first five games here. Um, he's just one of those guys you want. Hey Patrick. Absolutely. I think. 
one thing that I love about these Jays is really it's kind of like a microcosm for Canada itself. We have, you know, there are uh, young men on this team from uh, Canada. We have young men from the United States, Venezuela, the Dominican. Um, Korea. <laughs> yeah, South Korea. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing other countries, and I don't, I don't mean not to include them. Uh, but the point that I'm driving at is that we have men from all over the world, and they have become a very tight team. The, they, there's been a lot of positive news uh, the last four or five months about this team coming together, sticking together, uh, doing quarantine together, working out. I remember before they made the trip up, uh, Bo had a couple couple guys, I think, stay with him to work out. I can't remember which players, um, but that was the thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, Kavan also worked out with some of the other guys, and they're sticking together, and they're, they're all following proper protocol, of course, uh, with Lord Esguriel Jr. leading the way, offering up hand sanitizer uh, <laughs> in the dugout, which I love. It's just amazing to see this is a group of, of young men who recognize the current political climate, and uh, the team is unabashedly, you know, standing behind the sentiment of uh, Black Lives Matter. And I know, like, we don't like to get political on this, and I won't speak for anybody else, but I, I absolutely love the message that uh, the team is spreading, especially the players. Um, a lot of them going around, they're just like the Leafs going around with the, uh, the T-shirt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Lives Matter. And it's just, it's great to see. And I, I love the fact that we, you know, the team is, uh, you know, for lack of a better phrase, I'll use the old cliche, a cultural melting pot. I like it. Before we um, talk about the first couple games here, do you guys see who's playing left field for Washington today? No. Emilio Bonifacio. Yeah. Boneface. He's still in the league? He's around. Man. Blast from the past. Like, I was just on Twitter, and I'm like, whoa, wait. Emilio Bonifacio? He hit uh, 286 in AAA last year, 36 RBIs. Hit a 353 on base percentage, but yeah, he still got it. I had well, I wouldn't say got it. That's for sure. I mean, those are AAA numbers. That's that's iffy. But like, not bad. He's still there. I totally. That's what. And then that's another random J that is just still around. You see them once in a while, where you're like, oh yeah, he was there. This like five years ago. Um, Week that was. You guys just want to uh, talk about the first game of the season and how awesome it was. Like Justin, let's start with you. What was your impression of the season opener? Sure. Yeah, I, I think uh, a bit a bit surprised at how a little bit how shaky uh, Ryu was. Uh, he talked about it a- afterward again. He was actually pretty nervous to make his first start with the Blue Jays. So I guess that's that's a good thing. He wanted to make a good first impression. He did a great job of battling. Obviously, his his control wasn't quite there, um, but he really really battled that game. The bullpen was great, except for Rafael Delis, <laughs> and uh, Kevin Biggio got off to a great start. And with a hit with that big home run, but also as as Patrick noted in the in the notes here, three Ks. He's a three true outcomes, buddy. Uh, he's going to be a walk, a home run, or a strikeout a lot of the time. And then our boy uh, Vladdy Guerrero looking good at first base, but as he's been doing for his whole big league career, just hitting scorching ground balls right at infielders all the time. He's got to get that ball in the air. Patrick, what about you? Season opener. What'd you think of it? Um, 
I thought Ryu was fine. Actually, we we probably wouldn't care so much about the shakiness at the start if he hadn't given up that muffin uh, to Susugo uh, just before he got the yank. Uh, that was in the fifth inning, I think. Or yeah, because um, he he gave up the two run homer, came out of the game. What's weird about that, uh, the home run from Sasugo, he just randomly decided he would hit from the other side of the plate. Not a guy known to be a switch hitter. He just decided to do that. I don't remember where I read that, but it, I think it was somewhere on Jay's Twitter. And I was like, he, okay, uh, that's He random. switch hit in Korea before, or Japan before he came over to to the, to the big leagues. He switch hit as, late as, uh, as recent as 2015. It's, it's kind of interesting, though, the fact that he took a moment to think about his situation and he was able to yeah. make that change out of nowhere and he was able to get that result, which, you know, okay. I mean, it, it makes our starter look bad, but I thought it was pretty impressive. And I was really impressed in particular uh, with the bullpen after Ryu was out of the game because they pretty much shut, shut it down. Giles had the save. Um, everybody, you know, was contributing, had some good heat. Um, Dolis had heat, but again, gave up two walks. He couldn't seem to escape a, a game this weekend without giving up a run. I was really impressed with uh, Kavan Biggio at the plate. Even though he had three strikeouts, he was able to connect for the home run. He was looking to rip a ball 400 feet uh, game one. I think he wanted to really set the tone for the rest of the season. And uh, I was disappointed. Vladdy only went one for four, and his one hit was, I don't know, uh, Justin, you can talk about this a little bit more, but what's going on with Vladdy's swing? He's just uh, he's he's coming kind of as like a more of a downward swing. He's not coming flat through the hitting plane. Um, I saw some analysis on Twitter where it just looks like he he's kind of dipping his front leg and and his front shoulder down. That's causing more of a downward plane than we're used to seeing from him, and it's causing him to really hit the top of the baseball. Uh, versus where if you get it in the air, you're kind of coming a little bit more on a flat and or slightly uppercut swing upward. But you want to have a swing like a Christian Yelich who keeps his swing in the strike zone for so long. It's a flat, slightly angled up swing that creates those line drives. And that's kind of the opposite of what Vladi's doing. He's doing a slightly angled down swing right now. So it's a small adjustment. Hopefully um, our new coach, Dante Bichette, can uh, help him fix that. Two things here. I don't. I wouldn't worry too much about Vladdy's swing. Mm-hmm. The longer he plays first base, the better his swing is going to be. Speaking from personal experience, when you switch um, defensive positions, you tend to focus more on the switch, and then things like your timing at the plate and your swing they kind of they kind of get less hot after a while because you're not working on it as much. You're more focused on switching positions, and that what that's what Vladdy's doing right now, I think, because, like, he looks great at first base defensively. Like, he's made some yeah. great digs, and, like, he's... Other than that one blunder that he had during the shift, but, I mean, that's... When the balls hit you, you're just... You're going to react that way. You're going to want to go get the ball, and the more he plays first base, the better he'll be at that, but I don't think that was his fault still. But I think he's just more focused on the defensive side of first base more than his swing right now, and I think that... You know, once he gets the uh, grasp of first more, he'll focus back on his swing and he'll be 
back to doing Vladdy things. But yeah, it's been it's been a bit iffy. He did hit a dinger right as we started to record. But I think yeah. um, I think once he kind of masters first base a bit more, the swing's gonna start because he it looks like he's laser focused on playing defense there, which is awesome. Uh, the season opener was awesome. Let's let's face it, everyone's uh, hopes were really high, and then the next two games happened. Uh, Matt mm-hmm. Shoemaker was lights out. He like that's it's awesome to see that he kept it going. Uh, Kavon was great at the plate again, but then Sammy Gavigulo coming in. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it to you first, Patrick. Um, how frustrated were you at that moment when things just started to go south? Um, man, I'm trying to think of, like, the most diplomatic way that I could say this. Um I don't think Sam Gaviglio can be trusted in late inning clutch situations where the, you know, we're, you know, we're up by a few runs and we need someone to go in and shut them down. I think he kind of fits the Brian Tallett. You know, we've, we're already down by seven runs. We need somebody to log innings kind of guy. Um, I just think we, his game has declined so rapidly since last year that he just doesn't seem to have the stuff. I mean, look, it, it is only one outing, and it's it's hard to kind of put... It, it's hard on, on... I'm being hard on him by just kind of putting a lot of weight on that one performance, but every game that we play this season is really like three games, so... Losing one game is really like losing three games. So when we start the season one and oh, and then all of a sudden we're right back to one and one, you know, it just it takes the wind right out of our sails and it sucked. Um, obviously, I don't want that to happen because I like Sammy G, but man, he's just he's so inconsistent out of the pen. He's inconsistent as a starter, too. What would you say was worse, though, Justin, the way that Game 2 ended or the way that Game 3 ended? Like, what was the more disappointing ending for you? Game 3, hands down. We get such good performances from from Thomas Hatch and Anthony Kay. My boy! And Yeah, your boy. And and then, like, our offense looked nice. We had five runs. And then, terrible. Just shit the bed in the ninth inning. Like, uh, what would you do if you're Montoyo there? I know, like, in our group chat, we were kind of we were kind of yerping Montoyo a bit for the whole Giles situation, and, like, he clearly didn't look great. And, like, why not just go get your trainer out to talk to him a bit? And instead it was just yeah. Pete Walker out there, and then he hurt himself even more, so. Yeah, I think, I think as soon as you see a pitcher doing what Giles was doing and looking like he was, you've got to get him the hell out of that game. Like, there's no reason to let a guy who's clearly not feeling well continue to pitch, like... I've seen I've umpired a lot of baseball and even in like the like in local minor league baseball like 18 year old kids as soon as that pitcher like shakes his arm funky that coach is out of the dugout immediately he's gone he's out mm. of the game like does Montoyo not have eyes I'm a little bit curious as to why we left him in I'm a little bit pissed off frankly this this is our closer a uh, guy that we're counting on to hopefully close 20 games for us in the 60 game season. And here we are without him in game five, or after game three. It's bad. Patrick, what did you think of the whole situation at the end of um, that last game of the Tampa series? Uh, It was an unmitigated disaster. Mm. I know, know, like, I'm the guy who throws around a lot of superlatives. 
uh, in our conversations, especially off uh, off microphone. But I couldn't believe what was happening. Every time a new <laughs> Jesus Christ, every time uh, you know we brought out a new reliever, they blew the game. And even worse than that was it was very apparent to even you know the most casual J fan there was something wrong with Ken Giles his first at bat he he wasn't hitting the high 90s which he's supposed to he was velocity was down 3 or 4 miles per hour all of his uh all of his fastballs were way up high his i don't know whether or not it, mean, it meant a, an early release or what but he was just Something wasn't wasn't allowing him to extend his elbow out the whole way to get that you know that nasty filthy fastball that we know and love him for, and the fact that it went on, and on and on and he, like, I don't blame Ken Giles for blowing the save, I blame Charlie Montoyo for bad player management. I know they have to face three batters, but isn't there aren't there exceptions if when there's an injury? Hurt. Yeah, yeah, if the guy's hurt, if the guy's if the guy gets hit off a line drive, they're not going to expect him to stay in the game. Or if they clearly blow their elbow or something like that, if there's clearly something wrong. They're not going to force, yeah. you know. Or and even if they were penalized by having to concede a run, or well, put the guy on the current batter on first base or something like it's yeah. better than having a guy like risk his career. Yeah, and now he's out indefinitely, which could be could be 10 games at first he was put on the 10 day IRL but indefinite it could be the whole season I think we have to move forward assuming Ken Giles is done for the season because we just can't there's not enough time in in the season for us to screw around with his rehabilitation if you just shut him down give him the opportunity to rehab he'll probably sign a very cheap contract to come back for the Jays because otherwise no one's going to sign him because this is back-to-back years, isn't it, with injuries? Yep. Or two out of the last three seasons, whatever. I don't know, man. I don't know if we sign this guy long-term anymore. That's a lot of injuries. And I don't know. I'm, I'm worried about how much this is going to mess with his head too. Yeah. Well, give him some time again. He's, it's not a, it's not a horrible injury right now. It's a strained forearm again. It's, it's uh, indefinitely, which whatever, but maybe he gets better. Maybe he just lights it up in the end of the season, you know, but right now it's a little early to tell like that. He, that his season's over, but hopefully he can come back. But if his season is over, then yeah, then, then, uh, then we have a tough decision because he's been he's been pretty good for us. Yamaguchi is not the guy either. Like Yamaguchi coming out of the pen, I just didn't like the way he no. threw. It just didn't seem like he had a lot of gas, and I don't know. I didn't really trust him. I hope he gets another shot to prove us wrong, but not a great first performance. I know that was one guy we we kind of had our eye on, and I think he was a little disappointing for a lot of Jays fans out there. Um, Danny Jansen looked okay in that series too, and that kind of kept going. Uh, on through the Washington series, like the first game anyway, uh, the Jays 4-1 win, all solo home run dingers. Um, who impressed you the most in that game, Justin, in that first game? First game against Washington, uh, definitely uh, Teoscar coming in and having Bichette scratched late and getting thrust into that leadoff spot where he starts the game off with a home run. And the, both of those home runs were opposite field too. If Teoscar Hernandez can really find that opposite field power stroke, 
uh, he'll have that gap-to-gap power that he's kind of been lacking. We've seen him go the other way before, but to do it twice in a game is it's pretty satisfying. And, and a guy like uh, like Jansen getting off to a good start, he was our best hitter in spring training when we were actually in Florida. And to have him continue to hit well is a good sign because, yeah, obviously he only hit like 204 last year. Oh. And if Danny Jansen can hit 250 for us and be the defensive catcher that he was last year and nominated for a gold glove, that's a stud you can build your your pitching staff around with him back behind the plate. Love yep. to see it. Yeah, like I was really impressed with Danny Jansen uh, since the season started. And I know like it hasn't really been that uh, long a season so far for us. We're only on the fifth game, but he's shown that he's got he's got the power. He's showing patience at the plate. And guess what he hasn't done yet so far? Struck out. No strikeouts. I like it. He's not uh, in the lineup tonight uh, against Washington for uh, game number five of the season. Uh, Reese McGuire is uh, is at the back end of the lineup. But, you know, Danny Jansen was due for some good fortune, I think. And, you know, he's already, you know, an all-star caliber defensive catcher. And now he's starting to put together the hitting and, Maybe this he will be like the next Russell Martin, which for us was, you know, for several years, Martin was our guy behind the plate. And we could trust him, you know, to get somewhere around 30% caught stealing percentage and backstop a game and be a, a good leader when it came to the, uh, you know, the pitching staff. So I'm really happy about what we've seen from Danny Jansen so far. The one guy I wasn't happy with, Trent Thornton again. I've always been pretty skeptic of him on the podcast. I know he's your boy, kind of, Patrick, but yeah. he had those four double plays, and you could have made the argument that also he threw it low, that he got out of those double plays, but, man, like he was kind of keeping the ball up, and he was getting hit really, really hard. We kind of touched on it before in our season preview episode, but like, weren't we kind of worried about this for Trent Thornton? Like He, he gets hit really hard. Are you worried yeah. about that at all, Justin, about his performance? Or are you kind of happy that he still got the win? Well, not the win, I'm, but he went four innings. I'm glad that he was able to battle around it. Obviously, a lot of help in the defense, so we should probably give a lot of props. How about a guy like Brandon Drury? He looked really good defensively yeah. at third base. Um, yeah. if, if he can figure anything out with the bat this season uh, and, and play defense, I guess, uh, anywhere on the diamond like he can, then this gives a guy that is like Santiago Espinal but older. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it never it never hurts to have that that defense behind you. But, yeah, back to Thornton. I was impressed that he was able to fight through it, but at the same time, I'm with you, Clayton. He was, he was throwing a few muffin balls, got lucky a couple times where hard-hit balls were hit right to fielders. His next next start is going to be a real indicator of what kind of season he's going to have. Yeah, because like, he was leaving it up, and, like, guys were teeing off on him, and it was, like, it was mm. just one of those days where the baseball gods smile on you, and they're like, you know what? They're just going to hit it right to him. Sometimes you have those days, and well, and sometimes you don't, but. I, I don't think it's that simple. If you look at this Washington lineup, look at all their players. Okay, so who's in the lineup? Trey Turner, who is an all-world shortstop as far as hitting. Adam Eaton, Howie Kendrick, Azdrubal Cabrera, Eric Thames, Starling Castro, uh, Jan Gomes, Bonificio. All these guys are 30-plus years old. They're, They're hardy veterans of baseball. Some of the better players that we saw throughout the mid-2010s 
are are in this lineup. And yeah, even though they're old guys, this is a team built to win the World Series today. And Trent Thornton went out there, and he didn't pitch great. Uh, he, you know, didn't light the world on fire. But I have to say, look, if you can be a Houdini and you can get it out of jams, good on you. His FIP might end up being super high, but all that really matters is can he, you know, can he get out of the jams? I don't, I don't know if he's going to end up holding on to a starting pitcher position the whole year, especially given the good fortune that we had in that game where we did actually go with the, uh, you know, the checks mix of uh, of pitchers. We had like what six or seven different pitchers in that game, uh, game two of our season. Or game three, game sorry. Three. Yeah, sorry. And also yeah. with the impending arrival of uh, a guy named Nate Pearson tomorrow. That's right. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. To. Let's talk about that for a bit. Like realistic expectations, Justin. How do you think he's going to do tomorrow <laughs> up against Mad Max Scherzer? Whew, tough first matchup, World Series champions. It's going to be fun. I mean, even if Nate Pearson doesn't have great numbers this season. It's incredibly important for him to face big league pitching. He has yeah. nothing left to prove against minor league hitters. He was utterly dominant last season across Double A AA and Triple A, and this is the next logical step in his development. It's it's actually kind of nice that I'm while well, I'm glad first of all, like the Blue Jays could have left him down until Friday and gotten that extra year of control. So they have said, you know what, we don't need this extra year of control. We want to get this guy in here as soon as possible. Um, so now, out of the four players that we have that are like super on our team with Vladdy, Bo, Cavan, and Nate Pearson, Vladdy's the only guy we held down. So I think the Blue Jays, after the whole situation with how much backlash there was over leaving Vladdy down, have just said, you know what, let's just let these young guys develop against uh, hitters and against pitchers that are going to actually make them better and not just be a walk in the park for them. I'm expecting if Nate Pearson can make, you know, eight or eight or nine starts this season, uh, pitch 60 innings, that's going to be a great stepping stone for him. If he can go five, six innings a start, that's what I'd love to see. I'd love to see the walk numbers below three per nine innings, and probably the strikeouts are going to be up near 10 or 11 per nine. Uh, That would be like best case scenario for me. I don't really care what his record is or what his ERA is, as long as he can keep the ball um, down and have good command. That's what I want to see from him. Patrick, what are your expectations for uh, Big Nate tomorrow? Uh, I I don't want to be a pessimist, but I will say my hope for what happens tomorrow is that uh, the the Nationals field their absolute best lineup they possibly can. So uh, give me uh, the red-hot Kurt Suzuki uh, behind the plate. Uh, give me Juan Soto. Get him in. Get him in the lineup. Hopefully, he's, you know he's out with COVID. Yeah, he has COVID. I know. He keeps getting positive and negative results, and he needs two in a row from MLB in order to get into the lineup. So it's not impossible that he will get his shot. It's improbable. Uh, it's Im- yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's not. It's not. It's not impossible. It's improbable. But still. I'd like to see Nate face the hardest, toughest, meanest lineup the Nationals have, and I hope that Scherzer comes out dealing. 
uh, his absolute best. I want him to come out and be Matt, uh, Max Scherzer and throw absolute fire. I want him to, you know, rack up the Ks, and I want Nate to look across the diamond and say, I'm going to beat that guy, and I'm going to throw gas too, and I want to see what happens. I don't know that, you know, we can, you know, count on a win or not, but I think he should go out there, relish the opportunity to play in a beautiful baseball park in Washington. It's his first MLB start. Just soak it in. Have fun. I bet you he goes five innings, five hits, four strikeouts, one allowed run. We take him out in the six after he allows a hit. Just a very boring first performance. I guarantee it, after all this hype, all this hype around Big Nate Pearson, his first start, is just going to be boring. And that's what we want, because we want to win the game. So, But it's just going to be boring. I, I'm calling it right now. Everyone has so much hype about whether it's going to be a disaster or if it's going to be awesome because this kid has looked fantastic. I'm calling it. It's just going to be boring. It's going to be bland. Everyone's going to be like, oh, okay, that was it. It's just going to be a normal, everyday Major League start. I'm calling it right now. And I hope so, because that'd be... That'd be good news for the Jays. That'd be good news. Um, yeah. Finally here on the episode, let's get into uh, the guys you think are good, the guys you think are bad, and the uh, the ugly. Spoiler <laughs> alert, we all have the same ugly. Um, S and G are his initials. You could probably tell by the way we talked about him. Uh, the good for you guys. Uh, let's start with you guys. A pitcher and a hitter. Who's the good for you? Uh, hitter, Danny Jansen, for sure. Patrick said it before. Uh, no strikeouts yet couple of walks the walk to strikeout thing is going to be one thing that i'm really watching from danny this season in the minor leagues he was a guy who walked about as much as he struck out sometimes more than he struck out so if he can keep those numbers similar that means really good things for him and, and how he's seeing the baseball uh, and, and yeah if he can hit it like he hit 16 home runs last year so or 13 or 16 something like that if he can hit about 10 home runs in this short season i think that's a great signs for the future of danny jansen Hmm. What about pitcher? Oh, wow. Matt Shoemaker. Um, guy who had an injury shortened season last year. Freak injury. He's a guy who I can see us trying to re-sign again, right? Keeping him around for maybe another year, maybe two years. Great mentor to have on the team. Uh, a guy who kept his conditioning up during the lockout, uh, lockdown, sorry, and has come in with the ability to throw 100 pitches right away. Uh, that's the kind of guy you want mentoring your young pitchers. So I'm gonna, I want to keep Matt Shoemaker for years to come. Patrick, is your good uh, a lot like Justin's or no? Yeah, but I, I do want to highlight one player in particular that I think deserves a little bit more credit, and that's the man who just got an RBI, Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, yeah, he hit two bombs in one game, and you know that might uh, conflate things a little bit, but. It's. I like what he's doing right now. He's clearly seeing the ball very well. Austin Voth is a pretty competent pitcher, and uh, he just got himself a plain old line drive single to uh, put the Jays up 3-1. to one. I'll take it. There's two on and two out for Biggio, who also has had a great start to the season. So it's kind of good, though, that we're seeing uh, players who aren't named Bichette and Guerrero step up uh, at the plate right now. And I'm really pleased too to see that both Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire have shown that they have power because we need those late, uh, late spots in the lineup to be, to contribute, especially to 
you know, kind of slow games down a bit and turn the the uh, turn the lineup around to, to get the big boys back up to the plate. Okay, what about the bad for you, Justin? Pitcher and a hitter, who have been the bad? Okay, the bad. I'm going with uh, with Rafael Delis. I I was excited about this guy, guy who had big big experience, looked really good overseas the last couple of seasons, and he's just coming and just looked completely out of place and completely overwhelmed on these big league mounds. I I do not like what I've seen from him. Just works way too slow. Doesn't have any rhythm. He's the kind of guy I could see as DFAing in two weeks if he keeps this up. Um, on the hitter side of things, um, I think the only obvious player here is, is probably Vladdy. I know it's probably going to be a common answer, but just the fact that he's he's struck out four times, hasn't taken a walk yet. Of course, yeah, he has a home run tonight, but he's just been hitting everything on the ground. It doesn't matter if you hit the ball 120 miles an hour. If you bounce it, it's going to not go anywhere. So I feel like just for Vladdy, it's a minor adjustment. Like you said, Clayton, he's learning a new position still, so we can cut him some slack there. He's in a position where he should be, and hopefully he can adapt and, and, and figure that swing out a little bit. I, I really want to see more from Derek Fisher. I know like that's asking a lot. But because <laughs> because he I mean he's in a bad spot to start with right with Gretchen getting hurt we don't you know who knows how long he's gonna be out yeah, for yeah good point um I know Gretchen is not on the DL or the IL sorry because uh, he's on the bench tonight uh, yep. as as is Fisher uh, as is Anthony Alford who also uh, has no hits so. I'm putting everybody who's in the outfield who's not Randall Gritchick and Teoscar Hernandez uh, on... Guriel. Well, yeah, Guriel's had a good night tonight. Um, a good season so far. Yeah, no, I'm really happy with Guriel. I think he's... Uh, he. I, I still think Guriel should be mentioned in every conversation where we talk about the big, the big boys, the Biggios, Guerrero, Bichette. I think Guriel belongs in that little, little squad there, and... Uh, you know, I, I'm disappointed. I know it's only been a few at-bats, but Santiago Espinal still doesn't have his first hit, and I'm getting tired of waiting on the edge of my seat for that. I really want uh, I really want my uh, my guy to get that hit. And then for the ugly, can we all agree, Sammy G? Like, do we do we want to get into Sammy G? What are your final thoughts on Sammy G here, boys? I think we talked about him enough earlier. I'm done with him until he figures his shit out. I want to say one thing positive about sammy g and that's that even though last year was a bad year for the team in general he still gave us close to 100 innings uh and even though his era was 4.61 last year he he is a durable arm and i really hope he turns it around i don't know that he is but you know let's hold out hope that maybe he's got something left well, that's it for me, boys. Um, you guys have anything to add at the end? Did we uh, not cover something we want to go back to? or we got a few minutes. I don't know. Well, let's talk about the game that's currently going on right now. It's 3-1 Jays. Uh, we're going into the bottom of the fifth. Uh, so far, the bats haven't looked great, but they've certainly looked better uh, than the Nationals, who aren't really getting very much of anything from anybody who's not uh, Trey Turner or Adam Eaton, everybody else 
well, Starling Castro has a hit, but everybody else, all them old guys, they're they're not doing what they're expected to do, which is get those clutch hits. Uh, Tanner Rourke has been very good. Uh, he's only given up three hits uh, across four innings, one earned run, four strikeouts though against a hardy veteran Washington team. This is what we expected from Rourke, an inning-eating monster who will come in, soak up innings. I'm hoping he'll get to the sixth tonight. Um, that'd be perfect. And, um, yeah, just keep dealing, keep doing what he's doing. Justin, what are the chances we win this game? We don't want to jinx it or anything. We always jinx it when we record during a game, whenever we're like, oh, we're up, and then we always end up fucking losing. Sorry, Justin's mom. Um, do you think we're winning this game? Uh, yeah, we're going to win this game. You heard it here first, guaranteeing a win, so we're going to blow it now. Damn. <laughs> Almost certainly. Well, that's I it, like boys. Our chances. I think uh, I think we have a good a good setup for the bullpen tonight. Hopefully, we can throw out the same guys we threw yesterday. Minus Rafael Delis, he can sit in the bullpen. I think that's it, boys. Um, thanks for listening. Yeah. Whether it be on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, and Stitcher, we're there too. Google Podcasts, of course. Thanks a bunch. Uh, hit us up on the Instagram and the uh, Facebook and the Twitter, though. More so the Twitter. Jay's Twitter's great. We love Jay's Twitter. Uh, we're always interacting, so make sure you uh, add us at BFMD Podcast. Tell your friends. Give us a review. Uh, for Justin, for Patrick, my name's Clayton. Have a good one. I get the goodbye song today. Uh, very underrated song. You guys might know the the group Chromio. They got a lot of like, yeah, I don't know, like popular songs and kind of top forty songs. This is a deep cut from them a little bit. Uh, it's called 045s. It's a really really good tune. Uh, hope you like it. Go Jays, go. See you later. Enough.